this morning, we are beginning a, a series where we're, we're journeying through Advent. But it, it, again, it's one of those, those odd weekends where we kind of jump straight from Thanksgiving into kind of Christmas mode. Uh, my family and I, we spent the better part of this last week down in San Diego with our extended family, and Thanksgiving has always been a time that I look forward to, a time that I enjoy. There's, there's all kinds of, of family traditions around Thanksgiving, whether it's, it's meeting at the Little League field at 8 a.m. to play football with my buddies that I've been playing football with for, for years and years, or, or playing games as a, a kid in my cousin's backyard, or, or more recently, the great turkey challenge between my mother-in-law and I and me. She, she makes a turkey, I make a turkey, and then we have a taste test. Her turkey, I think she kind of cheats, her turkey's made in a turkey roaster that's over 100 years old. It was her mom's turkey roaster, and then I smoke a turkey on a Weber, and we kind of say, well, well, which one is going to be better? This year, though, my, my, my wife said, well, I want in. I want it. And so she and my dad had an apple pie baking contest. And I wisely or unwisely said, oh, I'll judge him. And said that my dad's was better. Um, uh, there, there's something about this time of year, gathering together with family and friends. And, and this year for my family, uh, Thanksgiving looked a little bit different. On Wednesday afternoon, uh, my mom called to share that my 103-year-old grandmother's health was failing. Uh, grandma hadn't been healthy for, for some time, but there was a, a rapid turn of events, and, and the hospice nurses said, well, it, it could be a couple days, it could be a week, and she ended up passing away in a couple hours. Um, so at 6.30 on Wednesday night, she passed away, and Grandma had a, had a saying that's repeated in, in my family almost every time we get together. Whether she was with one person just having lunch or was at a big family celebration, she'd sit down with her plate of food. She'd look around. And she'd smile. And she'd say, it's a party. It's, it's, it's a party. So on Thanksgiving Day, we, we had a party. We told stories about Grandma while her six great-grandkids ran around. And then during dessert, my cousin announced that Grandma's great seventh great-grandchild was on the way. It was definitely a party. And this collision of, of the past and the present and the future... Now, as we transition from Thanksgiving to Advent, we move into a season where we, we look back at what it would have been like to wait for the Messiah, and we also look, look forward to Christ's second coming. The, the word Advent uh, literally means coming or anticipation or arrival. It's, 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 it's a Latin word that, that kind of means this, well, when, when's it going to happen? When, when's, when's it going to happen? So as we look to the past, and toward the future, we are a people who live in, in the middle, and we're reminded of that during this season. We're reminded of that during the Advent season. So on Sunday mornings during Advent this year, we're going to be journeying through a series called Songs of the Season. And here's why. Because there was a, 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 a wise, wise elf that once said... The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loudly for all to hear. Buddy the Elf, come on. 
But Buddy the Elf, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. We, we sing so many carols and songs during Advent and Christmas. And, and there are some great stories behind each of those songs. So we're gonna, we're gonna take some time looking at the stories that are behind some of those songs. But there's also a lot of songs and poems and scripture connected to Jesus' birth. And so we're gonna unpack some of those poems and some of those, those songs, all that have something to do with the incarnation. So this morning we're gonna be looking at Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. And as we turn there, I'm gonna ask you to join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the season of Advent. Lord, for the gift of your word and for the opportunity we are given to unpack it with one another. Lord, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And God, I ask that you take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So our, our passage that we're, we're looking at this morning is one that we, we usually read after Christmas. And you might think, well, why, why are we talking about it? Today then, uh, the shepherds had gone back to their sheep, Joseph and Mary and Jesus back to Nazareth. Uh, we can imagine that this was about the time that, that Joseph had gone back to work. He's gone back to, to working in the carpentry shop and, and Mary's doing all the things that new moms do. Sleep schedules, feeding schedules, diapers. All, all of those sorts of things that, that new parents have to figure out. And we, we pick up in our passage today as, as Mary and Joseph are going through the customs of their day. Almost like, like we do today when we, we have a baby, we go in for the two week checkup. And so they, they're taking Jesus to the temple and starting at Luke 2.22, we read this. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what it stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, that's not where two turtle doves comes from, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised him, saying, Master, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said this to his mother Mary. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. No pressure, Mary. And to be, be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who knows how long this man, Simeon, had been waiting for Jesus to arrive? Who knows? We're told the Holy Spirit rested on him 
And that when he saw the infant Jesus, he took Jesus in his arms and sang out, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. No angels, no shepherds. This time it was different. A man who had been waiting, a man who had been hoping for the Messiah, his entire life met him sitting outside a church. Sitting outside a church. The image we see here is is of a man who is tired because he stayed up watching night after night, waiting with all of his being and constantly hearing from God, oh, not yet, but soon, to just hang in there a little longer. It's the answer to prayer that, that most of us have gotten at one point or another, and most of us don't particularly enjoy hearing it when we get that response. Oh, just wait. Just, just, just a little longer. But something was different on this day. Hope was realized in the infant Jesus. And now finally, Simeon could turn to God and say, okay, he's here. I've I've done my job. I can rest. I can die in peace. It's not quite the same sort of significance, actually not at all close to the same significance, but but when I picture Simeon, I, I hear my grandmother's voice. For years, every time she saw my cousin, my cousin Sarah and I were the, were the same age. She's the one who announced that she was pregnant at, at Thanksgiving. So for years, when my grandma would see my cousin Sarah, she'd say, so when are you getting married? And cousin Sarah would say, not yet, grandma. Grandma would get creative and try asking the question in a different way. And for years, until this last year when she got married... She'd say, not yet, Grandma. Not yet, Grandma. God told Simeon over and over and over again, not yet. But now it was time. And and Simeon, he announces, my eyes have seen it all. My eyes have seen it all. A light for Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. One of the, the oldest Christmas carols in existence is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What we just say. Most likely it was, it was written by a monk over 1,200 years ago. Originally written in Latin. It had seven verses that, that kind of systematically walked through Scripture, connecting the whole narrative of Scripture to the person of Jesus. For people who didn't read or didn't have access to the Bible, it was a song that connected kind of that, that full big narrative of Scripture to Jesus. But the song really took off because of an Anglican priest named John, John Neal. Neal was a a brilliant scholar at Trinity College in Cambridge in the mid-19th century. And and, uh, the the, the priests that taught him, they were kind of overwhelmed with his brilliance. Some thought he was too progressive. Some thought he was way too conservative. He spoke 20 different languages. And so he was the student who would always sit at his teacher's feet and ask questions. You know, that, that, that guy that was just kind of, come on, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more. And so when he graduated and he was placed in the church, leaders of the Anglican church said, where are we going to put this guy? 
Where, where are we going to put him? We don't want him to disrupt what we know. And so they exiled him to a, a church on a small island off the northwestern part of Africa. A place where he had little hope of influencing the Church of England at all. And while he was in that place, all alone, far away from what he knew, he came across a book of ancient Latin chants. And guess what song was in it? This, this old song in, in Latin that was, was a chant. Originally, he translated the first phrase, draw nigh, draw nigh, Emmanuel. Now you can sing that next time. Draw nigh, draw nigh. Doesn't really work. A hope-filled carol about the birth of God's child and God's promise to deliver all people was discovered by a priest who was sent into exile. Think about that for a moment. Another one of our more popular carols came from another time and place where there didn't seem to be much hope. The words for O Little Town of Bethlehem were written by an American preacher, actually, by an American preacher named Philip Brooks. Brooks is one of the more well-known preachers from the 19th century, largely because he was the pastor who presided over Abraham Lincoln's funeral. He was overwhelmed by the atrocities of the Civil War, was a pastor of a, a, a church in Philadelphia and said, I need, I need to get out of here. I'm losing my faith. This war is making me lose my faith. And so he took a sabbatical, took a sabbatical to the Holy Land, and, and he ended up on a horse in the countryside just outside of Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. All of a sudden, the hopelessness that he had felt, that he had experienced during the Civil War found a home as it met with the hopes and fears of all the years. He was able to place his experience within the the context of the Christmas story. And while reflecting on it, he wrote a poem that became the carol that we now sing. Two carols full of hope, finding their origins in what seemed like hopeless times and hopeless space. A lonely island and in the face of war. A part of what would would have made Simeon's song so shocking for Mary and Joseph, and really anybody who who heard it who was was within earshot, would have been its content. It would have been what he he said. He looks back and, and, and says, I've been waiting all of this time. And then he looks forward. For thousands of years, the Jews had expected a Messiah who would deliver Israel, but no one expected a Messiah for all people, including the Gentiles. And here, Simeon is saying that this light, this salvation, was for both the religious and the non-religious, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. It was a hope for everyone. Now, the reality is, as Simeon goes, goes on to say, because it was a hope for everyone, there would be people, he, he warns Mary, who are not going to like it. There, there will be people who aren't going to be on board with what Jesus came to do. So, so true prophets, as Simeon was, they aren't just fortune tellers. They're, they're not just people that can look to the future and say, I know what is, is coming. They discern truth in the present. 
They, they can name truth for what is happening now and today. And, and that's exactly what, what Simeon was doing. They, they talk about what is coming as a result of the truth that is taking place now and today. So this hope, this baby that, that Simeon held in his arms was for everyone, and that would make some very uncomfortable. Now there was another prophet that was there with Simeon on that day, and her name was Anna. She was a descendant of one of the oldest known Jewish tribes. And she constantly sat at the temple waiting for Jesus. Some actually believe that she, she lived at the temple. As she confirmed Simeon's words, the past, one of the oldest Jewish tribes that was known, the present and the future connected to the hope that is found in this infant. So in the same way that Simeon and Anna searched and waited for hope, that they looked in all places at all times to find whatever they could, they could hold on to. Many of us today, we, we look for, for hope. And sometimes the world that we live in doesn't give us many glimpses of hope. Instead, we, we turn on the news or, or we, we see what is happening in the world and we say, ah, what is going to make this better? What, what, what is going to make this better? Where, where is the hope? And we end up looking for it in jobs, in grades, in school, in the approval of other people, in politics, in religious systems, you, you name it. But the Advent story reminds us that hope is ultimately found in Jesus. We place our hope in those other places if we place our hope in those other places, it's going to be incomplete. It's going to let us down. So my prayer for us as we enter this Advent season is that we would, would hear Simeon's song, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, that we would hear those words, and they would lead us to place our hope in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Gracious God, remind us to set our hope in you at all times and in all places. We pray these things in your name. Amen.